0: I'm Mark Holland, Member of Parliament for Ajax and Parliamentary Secretary for the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness.
1: Hello, I'm Omar al gabra Member of Parliament for Mississauga Center and Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Consular
0: Affairs. And this is In Camera. Well, this is uh, the first effort by Omar and I at having a podcast, a little bit behind the scenes on what's happening in Ottawa. We get a lot of questions every week uh, from constituents by uh, email, telephone, and uh, just stopping us on the street to ask uh, what's happening in Ottawa and what's going on, and we try our best to answer those. But we thought uh, having an opportunity to talk about some of the big issues in, of the week here in Ottawa together uh, with my good friend Omar would be a good way of, uh, of sort of connecting the people that we represent and maybe beyond um, to look behind the issues.
1: It's a, it's an experiment uh, we don't know how many people would be listening. So all of you out there, uh, welcome to in camera. Um, uh, when uh, Mark and I actually, it was he who first uh, came up with the idea and I thought about it some more and I thought it's a great idea because we don't often get a chance to, um, speak, um, candidly, um, Thoughtfully, we're always caught up in responding uh, emails or phone calls or in the House of Commons. And we hope that this will be an opportunity for us to speak frankly um, uh, about the issues
0: of today. So let us know what you think, um, what you'd like us uh, to talk on as well. We're open to, to taking suggestions on topics. Um, to the masses that are already listening. Uh, we're sure at the beginning- all, all two of you. All two of you, that's right. And I, my mom's probably among them. Um, and, uh, and we're hoping to do this every week. Uh, we're hoping to do kind of a, uh, towards the end of the week, uh, the talk about what's been transpiring in par- in Parliament. Uh, and and look forward to your feedback. This week was a really tough week. Um, this this week we lost uh, a very good friend, uh, both Omar and myself, uh, and the country, uh, Arnold Chan. Uh, Arnold was somebody who I first met twenty two years ago uh, in the basement of a campaign office, and uh, who became one of my best friends in the world. And he's somebody who uh, was just the greatest example of who a parliamentarian could be. Uh, Omar, you'd known uh, Arnold a long time as well. I know.
1: Uh. I met him 2006, so that's 11 years ago. I met him um, uh, during the leadership. Uh, the 2006 uh, Oh really? National uh, party leadership yes.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny, Uh, so I met uh, Arnold in 1995, uh, to to date myself, and uh, he was on Joe Dixon's provincial campaign. And he was this guy who came down the stairs, I'm 20 years old at the time, and he looked like a kid. I mean, I thought he was 14 or 15 years old, and uh, he didn't age for 20 years, he always looked that young, and he was so full of energy. But he had this sort of calm uh, serenity about him, he was so intelligent. Uh, but anything that happened, no matter how big, no matter how uh, sort of tectonic it was for anybody else, he maintained this really calm demeanor and was really a stabilizing force in my life. And you, you, you talk about the first time you worked on uh, in leadership was in 2006 when both you and I worked in Gerard Kennedy's campaign. Um, I had an opportunity to work with him on Gerard Kennedy's first leadership campaign provincially in 1996, and he was instrumental even in that campaign. Uh, he was working for Dalton McGinty uh, at the time. Uh, and I uh, got to know him uh, even better as that leadership process went on and he became a, a very good friend. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I, the, the tributes this week were uh, were really touching. I, you know, the people walking around here, the number of lives that he touched, uh, not just here in Ottawa and in Queens Park, but really across the country. The outpouring has just been, uh, been amazing.
1: And it doesn't surprise me. Um, and, uh, you know, we all intellectually have accepted the fact that the uh, things were not going well for him um, but obviously when it happened it was still a shock um, and you mentioned in, in your speech that uh, it's, it's still hard to believe that when we look at his seat in the house of Commons, that he's not sitting there um, he's always been exactly what you described uh, a soothing calming uh, voice of reason to Many of us, many of us, and uh, and it, it's a big loss. Um, but it was heartening, frankly, to see um, the outpouring of support, the kind words that really uh, uh, captured what Arnold meant—not for us only as individuals, but for us as a nation.
0: Yeah, and you're right. And and this whole week, we there's flowers sitting in a seat, and we've seen Gene. Uh, Nathaniel, Theo, and Ethan uh, come to the house. Jean, who's been just a rock, his wife, uh, his wife, uh, just absolutely incredible, being there for him and in uh, over the last year uh, and a half, particularly as the illness has been very challenging, uh, and just an inspiration. She as well, because you know, often in times like this, we think about you know what we've lost and we think about how hard it is to lose such a good friend and and what a loss it is to a liberal family and to parliament but we can only our hearts just go out to jean and and uh, and their boys and i know what a tough time it is the, the 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 funeral's this saturday and i i know the the church will just be overflowing with people um, it's an excellent time though to uh, to think about the fact and you know i i don't know about you but as i was hearing the speeches uh, and you heard the respect that New Democratic members had for him, uh, conservative members had for him. He had this way of expressing himself forcefully as policy ideas, but doing it in a way that was deeply respectful. And the speech that he gave uh, back in June in Parliament, uh, I think, just hit a, a, a chord with so many people because it was talking about, um, uh, you know, how it was sort of a call to action for Parliament uh, on how to behave and how to engage on issues, and in uh, the importance of of how of that that tone and that. Sets really for the country into the the types of debates that we have in a country and how we treat one another nationally. Um, and I, for me, it was uh, it was really a powerful speech. Will in the in the information below, we'll put a link to the speech. Anybody who hasn't seen it, um, really take an opportunity to see it. Uh, it's Arnold at his best, and I think uh, what he's calling on is, is is badly needed in Parliament.
1: I agree. I agree. And uh, um, um, you know, he a lot of people. Uh, were sharing Arnold's last thoughts, where he was questioning if he had left a legacy behind, and of course, it's 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 absurd to assume that he has not left a legacy. But again, we know him as a uh, uh, as his own harshest critic. Uh, but one of the many legacies he left behind was is that speech that I feel will go down in history uh, um, as 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 a, as a as a call to action, as you described it on all parliamentarians um, and it is frustrating as, as as an MP who sits on these benches um, to see all MPs agree at the beginning of a session or in the interim that we all should watch our decorum that we all should adhere to a certain code of conduct and then a few minutes later uh, we, many of us go back resort to our Old habits—it's uh, uh, and it's frustrating. I know for the speaker, uh, when he ran as a speaker. He ran on that platform. He ran on changing the decorum, and, and yet we see there's a lot of pushback sometimes from people, from MPs when he tries to enforce that. So I hope we find a way to remind ourselves of Arnold's word, word uh, words and uh, and and his 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 call to action to, uh, to re- remember our, our job as parliamentarians, to uh, remember that people are watching us and, and we set an example for the rest of the country.
0: Yeah, and it is hard because I mean look we've, we've been there, um, we live in this bubble where the issues get very very big for us and we get upset about issues um, and sometimes that context is lost about how big that issue is or how much indignation that issue deserves. Um, I think we have, uh, certainly there are times when folks uh, manufacture it. Um, I, I want to be more generous than that and say that it's um, that they kind of lose perspective. But if we're constantly in a state of indignation and, and outrage, uh, then it's just noise and nobody listens. And, uh, and then the tenor of that becomes uh, much more poisonous when it becomes... Uh, when it becomes personal, the problem, of course, is, you know, I can remember and and you you were sitting with me when we when Stefan Dion was our leader and he made a very conscious choice as leader of the official opposition to uh, to tone it down and to ask very thoughtful questions. And we didn't get any media for two months. Uh, we got completely ignored as a party. And so there is, you, you know, this is the one of the challenges. How do you get heard? Um, how do you make sure that you, you stay relevant? Uh, you have those appropriate sharp edges because it's important to challenge government and to challenge policies and for the, the opposition to be vigorous, um, but doing it in a way that was restrained. And for me, uh, Arnold really found that balance and uh, the amount of respect that colleagues on the other side had for the way in which he did it. Uh, is, is is profound, and, and and I think it's it's a constant check that we have to have with ourselves, of, of watching that tempo, watching the temperament, and sometimes it does cause, uh, you know, there is cause for indignation. Sometimes there is cause to be really angry, um, but it's it you can't be like that all the time.
1: And you know, it's not it's not about being angry, and it's not just about being indignant. It's how you express that anger. Uh, for for many times. The way we express our anger takes away from the substance of the issue uh, and, frankly, undermines our credibility when we're fighting uh, uh, for a topic that we're fighting for. Um, I think it, you're right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an art, perhaps, a, a balance between uh, adding e- how to add emotion to a, an issue of substance, an issue of, 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 uh, of policy that sometimes may be boring try to make it relevant um and and that that balance needs to be maintained and uh, you know i sat as an opposition just like you did uh, and i understand the role of the opposition and it's critical for the country it's critical for all of us to pose tough questions Uh, but i think it brings us all down opposition and members of government if we if we insult the intelligence of our audience, if we overplay our, our indignation. And, and and like you said, Arnold was a great example for all of us on how to manage that balance.
0: He was and he talked about a, a number of other things. Um, you know, I had the opportunity in the House um, just two days ago to read a speech he was hoping to give in the House of Commons. He was. Uh, I had met him several weeks before his death and we had a conversation about some of the things that were really on his mind that he was worried about for his boys and about uh, for the world. And I really encouraged him to, to get it down on paper. And he was somebody, even in, in profound illness, would come so alive when talking about policy and talking about uh, how we can make a difference. And so it was really important to him to, to do this speech. And uh, and it was tragic that he didn't have an opportunity to come back to the house and deliver it himself. But I, I was honored to be able to, to read it on his behalf. And there were three major themes that he saw um that I thought we'd uh, take some time to talk about today. Uh, he talked about climate change. He talked about the rapidity of change in technology, uh, from automation to uh, to, to the, the, the rapid change that we're seeing all around us in every form of technology. Uh, and then lastly, the impact really on both of those things in uh, in the rise of what you and I were talking before the podcast is uh, sort of radical populism, uh, very reductive, Um, basic ideas about how to respond to very complex, um, nuanced problems. And you know, climate change, uh, he's talking about it just as we saw what happened uh, to Puerto Rico, uh, completely wiped out without power, uh, by some estimates for a couple of months, Florida still reeling under the impact of what just happened there, Harvey, uh, devastating, uh, devastating Houston. Uh, in, in in our own uh, backyard, uh, B.C., both uh, wildfires and flooding, uh, we saw wildfires in Quebec and here in the Gatineau region. Uh, we saw not very long ago the devastation that we saw in Fort McMurray. And there's no doubt that the, the severity of climate change uh, and the frequency of these sort of severe events is greatly exacerbated. Uh, and so we have to build resiliency. Um, but it's also a, a really a, a clarion call uh, to say that we have an obligation as not only a nation, as a world, uh, perhaps more so than any other issue. And I couldn't agree with Arnold Moore on this, to take action on this issue.
1: It's a challenge that faces humanity. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked. I talked earlier about uh, being careful not to overstate uh, a topic or, or frustration but i think you can never overstate the threat of climate change if left unaddressed uh, and, and here's the challenge here that the, there's overwhelming evidence and you mentioned the examples and symptoms of that evidence and uh, that climate change is real it's happening and it's coming our way it, not coming it's already arrived uh, but it's just there's sometimes difficulty for People to imagine uh, the, the the severity of its future and the, the, how much of an impact it will have on our quality of life and our economy, and second guess how much we need to spend on addressing climate change today. Well, it's but it's really important, and I feel that's the job of a of a of political leaders, is to be able to articulate the necessity for investing in confronting climate change. And climate change. Some uh, in addressing climate change, we need to do some uh, 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 some ways to reduce our emissions. But also, we need to find a way to adapt to some of the changes that are going to happen, whether we like it or not. So it's about uh, prevention, but it's also about uh, adaptability. And 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 that's going to require new type of thinking. Not only when it comes to the environment alone. But it's our economy, our social policies, uh, our, our our education. It it really needs a, a whole of society approach.
0: Reality is the uh, the investments um, are uh, in some ways. Um, Intangible. In other words, some of the most important things that we can do are not going to be visible overnight in terms of their impact, and that could be incredibly challenging as uh, people who are who are trying to advance public policy to say, "Well, we're going to pay some money now so that we can avoid a massive charge in the future." Particularly when there are people going around pretending that that future doesn't exist, where there are people who are trying to debate the science. Uh, when you know, uh, unfortunately, I've seen it. Uh, you know, going, uh, going. Uh, Scuba diving and and seeing coral uh, reefs where there's massive bleaching occurring uh, where we know that we're going to lose Every coral reef sadly on earth is probably beyond our our saving right now. We're going to lose alpine environments We're seeing already huge displacements of people uh, Because of uh, because of what's happening with climate change and that we have these other people who are pretending the problem doesn't exist uh, Which allows uh, for this room to pretend that we don't have to do something Uh, and the cost to the planet and to our own economy is enormous. But one of the things that, you know, certainly we've tried to talk about as a, as a government, and you and I were talking about this back in our time in opposition as well, is the opportunities that come uh, with addressing climate change. Uh, you know, when we think of primary industry, which is so important to our country, and it's going to continue to play an incredibly important role to our country. Um, It generates an enormous amount of wealth, but for a relatively small number of people. Uh, Comparatively, secondary and tertiary industries um, produce an enormous amount of wealth for a lot of people. Uh, And really, I think there's an opportunity when you're talking about post-carbon technologies for those technologies that are fueling it uh, to make the Internet look like a garage sale. Uh, And we have to be part of that equation. We need to be the drivers of the technologies of the future because our our resources are finite, even if we weren't facing climate change, we're faced with the fact that natural resources are finite, they're not infinite, and yet our needs are growing and growing. So I think that there's this other, uh, there's that flip side of it, it's not all dread and doom. uh, But if we are actually on the vanguard of driving this change and this innovation, uh, and being on the sunset of the or sunrise rather of this uh, of this new change, there's huge economic opportunity for us in this and huge opportunity for us as a nation
1: and those opportunities are happening. Uh, Whether our country decides to participate in them or not, or harness those opportunities, there'll be other countries who uh, will leap into those opportunities. And and if we're not careful, and if we're not wise enough, and if we don't uh, participate and be early adopters, um, much of our existing industries that will have to change uh, might be not replaced with the, with the alternative. So we really need, and that's the role of government here. I, uh, I believe in, in free markets. I believe in the role of free, free, free markets uh, and flea markets too, for that
0: matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know you love flea markets. <laughs> Some good deals.
1: <laughs> but uh, it, government needs to protect the interests of its citizens, facilitating a smart economic growth. And, and, and sometimes free markets are short-sighted. Uh, and that's why governments, uh, frankly, let's be honest, the internet would not have happened if it was purely for free, free market. Uh, if, if there were no military and space industries that the government had invested in, we wouldn't have the internet that we have today. Uh, the same applies to uh, our, you know, our handheld uh, smart devices. Uh, so governments uh, have a role to facilitate a vision and, and and a direction for our economy, and set the parameters for it, and that's what we need to do. And if, if we don't, not only are we going to miss out on defeating climate change, but we're also going to miss out, like you described, uh, an enormous economic opportunity.
0: Yeah. So as we uh, as we move forward um, in, uh, in in and we have a, a really fantastic uh, minister responsible for environment who's who's spearheading our efforts uh, across a myriad of different. Um, uh, uh, different policy areas to both reduce our emissions and, at the same time, invest in the types of technologies that are going to take us to, um, to a better place. It, Arnold raises a very interesting point in his speech uh, uh, about uh, that very technology which we seek to improve our lives and to improve uh, the sustainability of the way in which we're, uh, we're existing on this planet also uh, having the power for enormous disruption. And we're really on the cusp of that. And and I, I think it's really timely that he raises it because I don't think we're talking about enough in politics. Um, you know, we often talk about automated cars and these the, you know and, and some of the technologies that are going to automate various manufacturing processes in more abstract ways or thinking them as being distant, but they're very close now. and they're uh, they're going to displace uh, massive numbers of people. and so they have the opportunity for productivity, but they also have an opportunity for enormous disruption. And so I think his call for us to be thinking about the types of policy solutions uh, that we're going to have to enact over the next 10 to 15 years to deal with the incredible number of people who are going to be displaced by automation is something that that we have to be seized with and have to be talking about.
1: I agree, I agree. Uh, it, it's again, I, I mean, automation is coming and it's happening and, uh, and in fact it's been happening for decades. Um, and if we uh, don't harness that and if we don't benefit from that, in a way uh, that makes us a world leader but also prepares our labor force uh, to become um, uh, productive and and, and and find a way to participate in that economy. So we need to ensure that our labor force is trained and ready, and then create opportunities, economic opportunities for them, uh, where we are on the cusp, on the, on the vanguard of those uh, significant um, Automation changes, tech, innovative and technological advances that are happening. The world is going to be buying, this. and and it's up to us whether we want to be sellers or just buyers. And if we are just buyers, and we don't take advantage of having uh, participating in that economy, we may not even have the resources to buy that technology. So it's essential um, and that that we are aware, not only aware, but we are preparing our economy and our workforce for that change.
0: And you've, certainly from a government perspective, uh, science is at the center of our agenda and, uh, and and understanding how we can both benefit from these changes and deal with uh, the social adaptations that are gonna be necessary for them is at the core of what we're doing. But I think the, 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 the speed of the change, the rapidity of the change, is one of the things that really concerned Arnold in his last comment. Uh, and the fact that, you know, there are, there are folks who have seen the world change around them radically um, and where, uh, you know, their future doesn't seem as secure as maybe as it once did. And uh, they're worried about the, whether or not their kids are going to have the affluence that they had. Uh, and this isn't just a Canadian phenomenon, it's really happening globally. Uh, and seeing uh, climate change, uh, automation, uh, uh, the constantly changing workforce where there's global competition um, is, is leading uh, the rise of reactionism, where people say, well, maybe we can just press the pause button and go back to a different time. Uh, or, unfortunately, where radical messages of all sorts are starting to uh, find home, because uh, simple solutions are somehow easier um, to absorb uh, and to hold on to than the really complex ones we're talking about, which is uh, that this is a lot of gray policy. Uh, some, some areas we don't have firm answers. Uh, we're, we, we have to, to work with the best evidence at hand uh, but people aren't accepting that, and there's this drive to kind of go backwards in a lot of different areas. That's really concerning, and we're seeing it manifest itself in in sort of an extreme manifestation of uh, of, of, of populism.
1: No, indeed, and and change, by definition, is scary, um, and it's complicated by the pace of change. The pace of change is uh, is occurring, like you mentioned, at a very fast rate, and. And there's also a sense that not everybody is benefiting from that change. So we as a government and as politicians, as as policymakers, as opinion makers, uh, need to be um, aware of of this dynamic. Uh, It's perhaps seductive to be nostalgic. It's seductive to refer to the times when we were kids or where our grandparents and parents told us they lived a, a much more comfortable life um, um but it's not an answer um, because the world is changing and and those who succeed are the ones who 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 know uh, who find a way to to ride that wave and, and and if you're unable to ride that wave you might drown uh, so we need to be of course sensitive um, to the anxiety the legitimate anxieties that people are feeling we need to be uh, uh, we need to devise policies and tools that help people left behind um and that's actually a moment for for me to connect the dots with our government policies it's investment in an economy to direct to to facilitate the new economy the new modern economy at the same time confront income inequality that is causing a lot of anxiety and thirdly invest in our young generation who are being prepared to be the workforce of the future so when you Connect these dots, you know that there's a there's a there's a script there's a, there's a recipe that we are working on for a brighter future for a much more dynamic much more fair and equal uh, economic uh, future.
0: Yeah, and I and I think those are the the absolute key points that if people are going to uh, reject these sort of radical approaches, they have to feel that they have a strong future in in, 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 in what is uh, being developed. And they have to see themselves in that. And I think there's a couple of points that are really important in that. One is that fairness. The transparency of what is happening, the opportunity to, be sh- to share wealth, to make sure that we're eliminating advantages and opportunities that only the most wealthy have, um, and that we're creating a society where that is self evidently the case. Because it's not enough for it to be the case, but it must also appear to be the case. Otherwise, people won't believe it. And then, you know, it comes to uh, Arnold. This is, uh, you know, something he added actually in the last speech um, around this question of diversity um, and the fact that it's so important for Parliament. And for uh, for the institutions of Parliament to represent the nation uh, that it's serving, uh, because I think that if people are going to believe in the institutions, that are going to believe in the vision that is being out uh, laid out, they have to see themselves there. And uh, you know, we've made some good progress in a number of different areas on that. Uh, but you know, he pointed out that we're still uh, we're still not there in many other ways, uh, and so you know, we got a lot of work to do still.
1: We do. He, uh, he talked about uh, gender diversity, and he talked about ethnic diversity. And, it's, uh, and uh, they're important, not only for people to see themselves reflected, but also the diversity brings um, an, uh, an important perspective uh, that otherwise we would be missing out on. Uh, and I would consider that as, a, as part of the merit process that people with equal credentials, but differ in perspectives, bring an added value. Um, And it's really important for us to be cognizant of that. We need to be deliberate. We need to be uh, careful. We need to be conscious of of the diversity that uh, perhaps there are some real and perceived barriers that diverse communities, women, um, minorities, Indigenous communities have felt, we need to shatter those barriers and invite uh, those voices who have been missing for a long time to the table.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I I think we can't be content with the progress we've made. Uh, You know, as progressives, I think we feel very good about some of the things that we're seeing unfold, but the forces, the reactionary forces that we see elsewhere in the world are absolutely uh, absolutely present here. Arnold Chan, um, we're going to miss you. Just an amazing I, individual. I just want
1: to share with you one thing that Arnold said to me. It's just to, it, it, I think it summarizes him. A um, um, couple of months before um, he passed, I um, I talked to him and I, I, you know, I I told him I feel bad. I don't think I was there for you a lot. And he looked at me. He said, "You're kidding me," because I feel I wasn't there for you. Yeah, that's him. And I was, uh, I was. Uh, You know, um, I I, I was speechless uh, for someone to be uh, going through a difficult time to say that he felt uh, that he had let me down. Uh, I could tell you Arnold never let me down. Arnold has always been there for me,
0: and uh, I will miss him. And how many conversations like this did we have, um, over, uh, over coffee or over a meal? Uh, and, and now he, he isn't with us, but I think what is with us is his words and the things that he held as um, as being essential for us to focus on. And, uh, and they are things that resonate with us. That's why we work so closely with him in politics. And, uh, and I know for you and I, and for so many others there, uh, we're going to pick up the torch and continue to work in his legacy. I miss his mentorship. I, I deeply miss his friendship and, uh, uh, the funeral is going to be a pretty sad thing but um, but he's in our hearts and uh, and this was a great opportunity today to talk about uh, about our friend and I want to thank you Omar this is our, our first podcast uh, many to come and again we look forward to your input on how we can improve it or any issues you think we should be focusing on this has been in camera
1: yeah and uh, I, I we don't know mark and I don't know where this is going uh, but we invite you to visit the our our not so uh, sophisticated website at incamera.ca. We don't have a big budget. <laughs> we have no budget. <laughs> but uh, but you can learn more about us. You can contact us there. Uh, tell us what you uh, what you thought and uh, propose ideas and suggestions for what we can talk about. And we look forward to continuing this conversation. Uh, this has been In Camera, and you can visit us at incamera.ca. Thank you for listening.